The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, welcome to the Inn here on Tuesday night. My name is Ryan Church, one of the guys on staff here at University Ministries. One thing I want to emphasize as we're getting started and as we got to hear uh, from Ethan and Levi about the, the, some of the opportunities that there are for you to get connected, that uh, this week, the, the fall workday, this Saturday, uh, you can take your Saturday to go and, and work for a family that's connected here to the church, uh, doing whatever random project they might have for you. It's a free lunch, and then it's $125 that uh, this spring break, we know we're going to be going back to the Dominican Republic. We know that we're going to be doing Malibu Work Week again. We know that we've got World Deputation, which is our two-month summer missions program. We've got winter retreat coming up at the end of January and, and into February. Things that cost a little bit of money, and this is a way for you to move the ball downfield on, on this. We've got a bunch of families that would love to have you over to their house this Saturday. So I really want to encourage you that if going on a trip or going on a retreat, something like that is in your future, uh, as you heard Levi and Ethan, uh, I want to encourage you to, to uh, hit up a, a fall workday. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in. Uh, to, I'm going to let you into my bedroom a little bit tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, really, really, I've been married now for just over 11 years. And I honestly think it started on our honeymoon that, that my wife and I would have started playing this game where as we're getting ready for, for bed, we would say, you know, I, would, I just started saying, not it. And she'd be like, not it on, not it what? I'm like, not it on turning out the lights. Okay, and she's like, okay, whatever, you know, it turns out the lights. Well, you know, we got home from our honeymoon, and, you know, I'd say, you know, not it. And she's like, what is this? Okay, so she, you know, again, she'd turn off the lights. Well, you know, Julie's a fairly quick study. So after, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, she, she figured out that, that saying not it was a key part of the equation here. So, you know, but, but uh, at one point we lived in this, this uh, small little apartment and she's in the kitchen. She's like, not it. And I'm like, oh, no, it only counts when you're in the bedroom. It's kind of your standard shotgun rules, right? Okay, you, you know, so, so she, she'd be like, what? I, I said not it. I'm like, but it wasn't in the right spot. Well, as you can see where this is going, right, that I would constantly change, change the rules or, or kind of make them up as we were going along and and somehow I was always the winner. Well, eventually Julie kind of figured out that, um, okay, you know, this, this, isn't, this isn't really working for me. And, and she, she figured out that she had the ultimate trump card because she can sleep through anything. Okay, noise, a fully lit room. And so, and so I'd be like, oh, not it. And, and I would like usually do some sort of happy dance, even, in, you know, if I was in, you know, if she was already in bed and I'm calling not it and coming up with some reasons why I just won and basically insinuating you have to get out of bed to turn out the lights and I'm doing a happy dance like, ooh, who won this one? Woohoo! You know, and she's like, no, no. It got to the point where she was literally like kicking me out of bed and finally she's like, you know what? I can sleep with the lights on. I'm like, okay, touche, you win. Okay? What happens to you when the rules seem to be dynamic? 
or the expectations are unclear, or you just don't know what the rules are. I can imagine this in your life as, as students, as many of you are students, that you want the expectations to be clear on what's expected in that paper or that exam that's coming up. Certainly, this happens in, in, in relationships and, and, and romance. You want to have an idea about, hey, what's expected of me on this weekend that's coming up? Uh, that's just kind of standard practice for for being in relationship, that we want the expectations uh, to be clear. I think that what we are getting at tonight as we continue this series uh, that we're doing, uh, that we've called uh, God's Story is Our Story, where we're looking at the Old Testament, we come to a point tonight where we're looking at the idea of covenant. And, And covenant... Is, is, it's not the, the, the sexiest word. It often has one of those kind of uber-religious connotations. But what we are talking about when we talk about covenant is that we are talking about a very committed God that gives people concrete ways to commit to him. We talk about a committed God that gives people very concrete ways to commit to him. Now, what we've already talked about this quarter, I want to review it really quickly because I think it's, it really sets up a very fitting, suitable, if not necessary framework for what, we, what we're going to be talking about tonight. That a few weeks ago, Janie talked about promise. We looked at the character of Abraham, who we'll talk a little bit more about tonight. And we, we, saw, we saw the promises that, that God, God gives, gives him. And we see that God is a God of promise throughout the Old Testament and into the New. Well, the week after that, we talked a little bit about deliverance. We talked about that great epic story of the people of Israel being led as slaves out of Egypt and the promise of being, being led into a, a new place. Uh, we see that the character, the heart of God is a God that sets people free. We see uh, repeatedly in scripture, this, the heart of God that sets people free. And then last week, Janie shared with us about provision, about how these, this group of folks are wandering in the wilderness and God provides for them, gives them the gift of the law, and then just gives them the practical things, the things that they, they need to eat. Doesn't necessarily give them what they want, but God gives them what they need. So the three words that we've looked at so far, promise, deliverance, provision, and tonight, covenant. These are are themes that are everywhere in scripture. Why are we doing this series? Okay, just to remind you, I am convinced, quite unfortunately, that biblical illiteracy is a major problem in the American church, and I, and I hate to break this to you, but it's, it's an even bigger problem among younger Christians, and particularly, we don't, we don't always know our Old Testaments. That's why we're doing this series. So those pages that are still stuck together in your Bible might not be so stuck together and that you might understand them as we read them together. So tonight, as we lean into covenant, uh, we are talking about a committed God that gives his people concrete ways to commit to him. Let's pray as we get started in talking about covenant. Lord, help us to see covenant as a gift Help us to see the, the gifts of the covenants that you have made, old and new, as we gather on this night. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, here we go. Covenant. What is it? What is it? Very simple definition here. It's an agreement that defines mutual responsibilities and benefits between two or more parties. 
Okay, simple definition of a covenant, an agreement that defines mutual responsibilities and benefits between two or more parties. In the ancient context that, that our, our, uh, our biblical heroes would have lived in, here's how it would have worked. That as the people are going into the land of the Canaanites, they're going into the promised land, there were already other nations there. And covenant was a very common, a very, a very common word, a very prominent idea or practice. And what it simply meant was there was usually some sort of, of overlord or a boss that would then have, have a, a servant or some underling, and they would make a covenant that would basically say, here is how I'm going to, uh, if you are loyal to me, here are the benefits that you will get. Okay? In, in a lot of ways, it would have been like a simple boss-employee relationship. Here's the covenant. And in that covenant, the, what the boss would receive is, here's how you will demonstrate your loyalty to me. Okay, a covenant was very common uh, between people that, that were in similar tribes. Like I said, bosses and underleagues. If two tribes were kind of in the same area, they, there might be two kings or basically heads of state that would make a covenant with each other. And so it was a very, very common idea. In our context... I think that the, the way that we often think about covenant, and I think an appropriate way for us to lean into it, is similar to that of a contract. Okay? In our culture, we, love, we, we have our contracts. And, and we all know that with a contract, uh, that one of the, the distinctive features of a contract is once any little piece of a contract has been broken. Let's say you have a contract that has 10 bullet points. You make good on nine of those bullet points, but you violate one. The contract is done. It is null and void. It is no longer good. Even though you made good on the other nine, if you miss one, it's gone. This is one of the reasons that with, uh, with our, our new nanny, uh, Kaylee, who was one of our interns last year, we didn't sign a contract with her. We signed a covenant because sometimes I'm late getting home from work or I'm late getting home from a run or a round of golf. And I don't want her to be like, oh, you know what? You're late. I'm out of here, you know, or double the funds or whatever. Because why? A covenant, very different than a contract, remains even if there is a piece of it that's broken. It doesn't immediately get scratched and thrown out. A covenant remains even when there is a part of it or all of it that is broken. It doesn't mean that one party can't make good on the other. In fact, often in an ancient context, there would be consequences written into that covenant. So that's a little bit about what a covenant is. When we ha- what we have in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the literal word for testament is covenant. So we have in, in this book the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it tells us about these responsibilities and benefits that God gives to his people, the old covenant and the new covenant together. Now, here's as, as we continue, before we do a little bit of a, of a speed snapshot through some of the examples of covenants in the Old Testament, why this is important is that there's one theologian, a guy named John Bright, um, who says that this whole idea of a covenant with people to their God instead of people to, to their president, people to their state leader, people to their, their, their earthly king, he suggests that this is the distinguishing mark of the, of the people of the Old Testament, of the, um, of the Israelites, 
um, of the ancient Hebrews, that their relationship to God, their covenantal relationship to God, that they would enter into a binding relationship not with a person, but with their God, is the reason that we still hear about them today. You know, there were a lot of different tribes, a lot of different, you know, kind of nations, types of people that were in the, in the area. The people of Israel were one small blip, but what distinguished them? It was their covenantal relationship with their people. And I only share that with you to, to try and emphasize how important this idea is to distinguishing the people of God as, in fact, the people of God. All right, so what I want to do is simply review some of the ways that we see these covenants play out in the Old Testament. We've already talked about some of them, but perhaps you, you weren't thinking about it in this language of, of covenantal relationships. And so let's, let's do a quick, a quick run-through of, of what do we see when God enters into these covenants. And that's a key marker, by the way, that in, in biblical covenants, it is always initiated by God. God takes the lead. God does, does the, the, the primary, the first work of initiating covenants. So what happens? So we have things like, like uh, a great symbol of the covenant is, is the rainbow, okay? God appears to Noah, says, hey, pack up some people in faith because I am going to be, I need you to round up everybody and I'm gonna cleanse the world of wickedness. Of course, Noah in faith does that and, and God uh, provides the rainbow, the double rainbow all the way. I don't know if it was a double rainbow. <laughs> But if Noah would have lived in these times, he probably would have dug that uh, YouTube video from a few years ago, Double Rainbow. I know I did. Okay, the promise, of course, that was given in the rainbow, this covenant, is, oh, I will never do that again. So when you see the rainbow, you are reminded of a covenant that God made with his people. And then, uh, you know, what's interesting in all these covenants is what? Noah responds by what? Getting drunk and naked, and it ends up being a disgrace um, to God. All right, next we have we heard about abraham and the covenant that was made with him that you that you are blessed to be a blessing your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky he was given the promise of a new of a new family a new land and a new nation okay so when you look at the stars it's a reminder of that covenant and the, what was what was demanded of abraham in that simply faith well, what did Abraham do? He goes and sleeps with his wife's servant, servant girl, and, it, it, and all sorts of chaos ensues because of that. That there is this covenant made with a person, and there's a failure on behalf of the person, but what happens? The covenant still remains. You will be blessed to be a blessing. And as we continue to see throughout Genesis, all these things that God has promised are proving to be true, even when the people that he entered in the covenant with have proven to be less than stellar or less than faithful. Okay, last week, we got to hear a little bit about um, those people that had come out of Egypt and then were, were given the law. And so we have the tablets. So we have the, the covenant of the people freed from, from Egypt. They get things like the Ten Commandments. And all of what they were given were laws that would distinguish them on how to be different than all of the other people inhabiting the land. Um, God promises to provide as they tried to figure out what their new or their national identity would be. Well, what happens? 
as soon as they are, uh, they are turned loose in this wilderness from the tyranny of the slavery in Egypt, a few chapters later, they are fabricating a golden calf to worship. Okay, again, God has made a promise. He's even proven that promise. And it's not but about 10 chapters later that they are already turning to a foreign idol for help. Doing something that was exactly what God told them not to do. Well, in what they were given uh, in their covenant when they came out of Egypt, uh, one of the great... One of the great parts of that covenant is this in Deuteronomy. And this is what, this is what it says. And I want to emphasize um, verse 5 here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay, now many of you know these words because Jesus reclaims this covenant and says, this covenant still stands. But why I bring it up here is that that's the phrase that really frames all of the the different behaviors and ethics that are laid out in the covenant that God makes with the people after they have come out of Egypt and are headed into the promised land. This is how I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, we often like to give the Bible a hard time, and we look at the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, for being very legalistic, okay, for being full, full of a bunch of rules that we don't totally get, and we, and we don't totally understand them for good reason. Janie pointed some of those out last week. But everything is framed by this, this sense of the heart of God that is love, and that calls people back to love of God and love of neighbor. And these were, were laws that were going to be demonstrated by the people to also demonstrate the heart of God. So those are, that's what's guiding these people as they then, as we get into the book of Joshua outside, um, once, we're, uh, once they're moving into the promised land, the book of Joshua shows how the people uh, kind of came into, the, how they entered the land how they conquered the land enough to then distribute the land amongst the people, and then the people renew their covenant. And they renew their covenant based on those words in Deuteronomy. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight as we continue to look at covenant. So what, what have we seen so far? We've seen a God that initiates covenant, that makes some promises to people, and makes good on those promises, even when the people fail to make good on theirs. We've seen this pattern over and over again. But now the people coming into that land that was first promised to Abraham, they're seeing it. They're experiencing it. There's this sense of, of think about a, uh, somebody who has grown up in very modest means. And they are coming into this brand new house, this mansion that is promised to them. But before they get the keys, there's a little bit of a sense of, hey, As you move into this new place, remember where you come from. And that's what it means to renew this covenant. So keep that in mind as we we hear these words. Uh, Joshua 24, beginning at the 14th verse, it says this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped by the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your sisters serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Okay. Uh, depending on your perspective, you could be looking going, man, Joshua, as he is speaking for the Lord, is just a terrible salesman. Okay. First, um, now fear the Lord. Anytime we see fear in scripture, I feel like I need to unpack that because it can, it can bring up a sense, especially around Halloween. It's like, okay, am, am I supposed to be scared? How am I supposed to understand this word fear of the Lord? Fear is, is at, at, its, at a basic level, it's always connected to worship. And what it means is, is kind of respecting or having a, a, a right reverence for the Lord. It's basically thinking about God accurately and thinking about yourself accurately, acknowledging one's need for God, acknowledging that they are not God, and acknowledging that God is, is large and in charge, bigger than us, and deserves to be worshipped. Okay, that's a longer description of what when you see fear the Lord. That's what it means. It's not, be, it's not the sense of, oh, be afraid, be very afraid. But it is, remember who God is. The great C.S. Lewis line in, in talking about Aslan where, where the question is, oh, is Aslan tame? Oh, no, he's not tame, but he's good. Okay, that's the, the type of idea that we have in the fear of the Lord. Well, then Joshua um, in his sales job says, you know, so who are you going to choose? Um, you can choose the Lord, but, you know, you don't have to. You can choose someone else. He doesn't seem to be putting the most compelling sales job on, Right? There's almost kind of this truth in advertising. Hey, you don't have to do this. You can choose the gods of the, those beyond the Euphrates. You can choose the gods of the people who are already here. But then he gives one of the great lines in all of Scripture. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. For it was the Lord God himself who brought us out um, brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too, Joshua, will serve the Lord because he is our God. Okay, this is where we, we have to remember that there are consequences. That while God continues to make good on, on the promises that he gives to his people, and they are good promises. Remember when we talked about what a covenant is? There's benefits to a covenant. There are also consequences. Now, we're not going to deal a bunch with the consequences tonight, but we're going to deal with that in a few weeks when we talk about this event called the exile. It's a consequence to what it means to not obey uh, to not obey the covenant. Well, of course, what happens here? In Joshua, these peoples, we just heard, they say, hey, we are in to re-up and renew on this covenant because we believe in this God that gives good gifts, that gives us benefits, that's protected us the whole way, that those are intact, and he's been loyal to us, and we will be loyal to, to him. They're fired up. Mountaintop experience. Let's go. Woo! What happens? About two chapters later, they are chasing after other gods as we get into the book of Judges. They're saying, oh, man, we're kind of lukewarm on Yahweh. We don't really, we, we don't really want to do this. Ma, we see everybody else. They've got cool kings. We want a king, too. 
Okay, that's, there's this promise. Oh, we are so in. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord. Two chapters later, the cycle continues. So what did we see in all of these covenants that have happened? Well, we see that God's part still stands. That when God makes a promise, and even as he invites people into that promise, and they don't, they, they don't do it, his part of it still stands. The invitation is, I will be with you. Will you be with me? I, the Lord, will be loyal to you. Will you be loyal to me? What we see in this covenant renewal in Joshua 24 is that God is still present with these people in relationship and they commit to being with him. That when we talk about covenant, we are talking about relationship. That's what we see. So what does it mean for us practically? What, is, what does the, the whole idea of a God that makes covenants, a covenantal God, why does that matter for us on this side of the old covenant, that is, in the new covenant? What does it mean practically? It, here, it, three things that I want to I wanna talk about. One, God wants to be a real presence in our lives. What distinguished the people as they made these covenants is that they were gods. It wasn't just a good idea about God. There wasn't just this sense of, oh, you know, um, yeah, I believe that, there, that, that, that there's a God that's out there. No, it was these, this whole idea of covenant that actually made God personal. It gave, it, it was, it was uh, think about it like this. I think about it as a bit of a defined, of a divine DTR. Okay, you guys know what a DTR is, right? A define the relationship. Okay, you, this happens to you guys all the time. Okay, You're, you, you see somebody in class, maybe you even see him here at the inn, and you, you kind of wonder, oh man, what would it be like to be in relationship with that person? You know, some people call that fantasizing, just saying. Okay, and, and you have this good, you have this, this idea of what, what being in a relationship uh, would be like with this person. And maybe you even get to know them a little bit. Maybe you actually even talk to them once. And you're, and you're thinking, ooh, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. I, I like this. Uh, and, and you see, you can picture yourself, you know, uh, going out on dates and, and hanging out, having fun, maybe walking down the aisle with them, whatever. But there's really no... There's really nothing that makes it concrete. What makes it concrete? It's that moment where, you know, say, hey, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about this. You know, I'm not going to see anybody else. How about you? You're going to be, I mean, I'll be loyal to you. You be loyal to me. Okay, it's a divine DTR. This is why we like covenants, is that it gives us something that takes the idea of God out of the realm of fantasy and says, no, we can, there is a way that we will relate to each other. It's a, it's a way that we will relate to each other in our day-to-day lives. That's why we like this whole idea of a covenantal God, a God that enters in and matters for the day-to-day. I know things just got real awkward if you're sitting next to that person that you fantasize about, right? <laughs> Second, there is a choice to commit. 
Notice when Joshua was talking to the people, it was not a throwdown. You have to do this. There was a choice to commit. Let me up the ante a little bit. I made that choice down here on July 5th, 2002. Me and Julie Church, I actually have a picture of us. That's on our wedding day. Okay, what happened on that day? Um, you know, the wedding day is, is one of those things that, you know, there's, there's a lot of jokes that surround it. You know, you always hear, yeah, wedding day. Oh, yeah, you know, best, best day of a woman's life, best night of a man's or whatever. Okay. <laughs> but here's, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. As somebody who came from a background... Where, where my folks, my folks are both on their third marriage. There was, for me, a huge degree of, you know, a, a wedding is merely a formality, okay? Do we really need to do all this? And what I can tell you because of July 5th, 2002, that as I got up in the sanctuary here at University Presbyterian Church in front of friends and family and God as witnesses and exchanged vows with Julie Ann Wilson, there was something profoundly spiritual that happened in that moment. We made promises to each other that said, I will be loyal to you and you will be loyal to me. And what I'm here to tell you is that there have been numerous times in, our, in the commitment that we made to each other where I have, I have come up well short of the promises that I exchanged that day, but it doesn't cancel that we made them. And there have been times, far fewer than the times that I've been indicted, that Julie has fallen short of the vows that she's made with me. And yet, there's no question who we're coming home to at the end of the day. We were not forced into that moment It was a choice that we made on July 5th, 2002, and it's a choice that we make every single day. And this is where I want to kind of get, I want to retweet what Ethan Buchan said earlier, okay? You got to commit. I believe that the invitation that we're given from a God of covenants is to commit. You see, God is more committed to us than we are to him. When we screw up, God makes, still makes good on his end and comes back to us. These are conversations that myself and the staff have with you all all the time, that there will be that particular sin that constantly trips you up. Okay, it's, it's different for everybody in the room. But there's that thing that can make you feel like you're far away from God. Perhaps it makes you even feel like God has forsaken you. And you don't even feel like praying. You don't feel like talking to God. You don't, want to read the, you don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to be in community. You don't feel worthy to do so. And that's where we have to remember this, that God is more committed than you are. In fact, God is committed even when you are not, but is calling you to commitment. You see, the new covenant is that Jesus Christ has rescued us. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's commitment to us. It is this new covenant given in this person who lived, who gave himself, who gave his body and his blood, and who rose again. And so a God of covenants, when we enter into a covenant with God, it is not 
somehow earning God's love. You got to hear this, guys. When you commit to a covenantal God, you are not earning God's love. You are merely committing to it. There's a big difference between those two things. You don't have to earn God's love when God is a God of covenant. You merely commit to it. And remember what we talked about with what a covenant is. A covenant is something where there are benefits and responsibilities. The benefit from a God that invites, from a God of covenant that is talking to you and talking to us is love. That's the benefit. The responsibility of the God that invites you into that covenant is also love. To share it, to demonstrate it, to talk about it. You see, that's what it means when we enter into a covenantal relationship with God is that we are saying, we're not trying to earn God's love. We merely commit to it. We commit to receiving it. And then our responsibility is to share it. And so what I want to to urge you to tonight is to commit. Perhaps you are here tonight and you have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus loves you? That he gave his life for you? He died for you? Maybe you are here tonight and you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. But something has just felt haywire in your relationship with him. And tonight is a night for you to renew your covenant. Your responsibility to receive and share God's love. You see, what God was getting at as Joshua and his clan were headed into this new land is to say, you can't be divided you got to say no to the foreign gods and the idols. You are going to live among the chaos of what's out there, but you are to be different. And the benefit to that is love. And the responsibility in that is love. Can we commit tonight? And all that, that I think the text urges us towards is to... Commit to the God who is committed to us and to commit to doing something for someone else as our act of renewing the covenant to demonstrate that great love for someone else. Will you renew your covenant with Jesus tonight? Let's pray. Lord, help us in the places that we again need to surrender to you. Lord, help us to to know your real presence with us. Thank you that you have given us the rules to the game, and that rule is love. Lord, for your grace and mercy uh, in our lives, we we are grateful. Lord, for the ways that we are disloyal, we say that we're sorry. Lord, empower us by your spirit to be loyal. Lord, as you have been so deeply loyal to us. Lord, we know there's nothing that we can do to repay you, and we thank you that when we fall short, your promises still endure because you are a God of covenant.
And so, Lord, be enthroned on the praises of your people as we again sing of your name on this night. In Jesus' name, amen.